Hi, I'm Mamadou Jai, but you might know me as the Animal Guy on TikTok at MJai underscore 97. And if you already knew that, you're probably used to hearing me talk about the weird, the funny, and the slightly disturbing facts of nature. You know, like the animals that might look harmless but will legitimately mess you up, and the animals that look like a menace to society but are actually pretty chill. But I think we can all agree the real threat to mankind and literally every other animal on the planet is climate change. This is No Denying It, the United Nations Climate Action Podcast. In 2020, the UN Secretary General said that the youth of today are showing the world what leadership on climate action looks like and that they're on the front lines of the fight. One of those climate front lines is actually in this ordinary looking office. So, one person, let's see what happens. One person starts moving and then we all fall. At first glance, it doesn't look like anything special. There's some people standing around awkwardly and the chairs have all been rolled off to the sides of the room. Everyone in this room is young. Some have their arms crossed over their chest and some are giggling, but you can tell it's nervous giggling. It's like they know what's coming and they're already embarrassed. They're being led in an icebreaker and we all know how much we love those. The instructor tells them to move a certain way so they start to shuffle around the room. They're following one another but trying not to bump into each other. But like the awkward icebreakers we've all had to go through, it's only to get the group's energy flowing and eventually the nervous giggling does become actual laughter. Everyone starts to relax and you can tell people are becoming less self-conscious and insecure around each other. And it might not seem like much, but in the fight to help young people stay hopeful about the climate, this is very much a win. It's a win because the connections they make with each other today will help them build solutions to climate change tomorrow. These folks are participants in Young Climate Leaders, or YCL, founded in Brazil in 2018. The program works with young, hopeful people who might not be able to afford university and help them build a climate career. YCL runs workshops on leadership skills and they educate participants on the science of climate change. They also host visits to key locations so they can see the process of combating climate change up close. Locations like, for example, Paris. Jimena, why are you so excited? I because the Eiffel Tower is brillando. Oh, wait, which Eiffel Tower brillando? It's so romantic. YCL also gives the participants a chance to just hang out and get to know each other because that's a pretty big part of young climate leaders too. We are out at the Eiffel Tower and we had uh, enough climate change today. <laughs> the goal is to create a network of people who can support each other while also working together on big climate challenges like stopping deforestation in the Amazon or reducing agricultural emissions. YCL was first started in Brazil to help support young people living in places facing unique issues like income equality, which often tie in with the fight against climate change. But across the world, there's one big challenge that every young person who cares about the climate is currently dealing with. There is a journalist in Brazil, Eliane Brum, that I really like the concept that she brought that we are seeing with Greta and all these young climate activists, the first generation without hope. This is Cassio Moraes, one of the founders of YCL, and she sees the problem of a generation without hope up close in the program. So what we see is young people from the first time in several centuries that they don't believe that their life will be better than their father's. And it can be depressing for young people to have to deal with the stress of both finding work and the constant bad news regarding our planet's future. Because it seems like almost every time you turn on the TV and hear something about our planet, it's almost invariably negative. But if you know how serious and and real climate change is as a problem, but at the same time that someone is helping you to understand how and what to do, this burden can be softened. So that's what we try to do in a nutshell. Everyone helping out to carry the burden. That is what Cassia Moraes has set out to do. She spoke with our producer, Rachel Ward. What drew you into climate change? Was there a moment when you decided you wanted that to be your work? 
I took an unusual path when I was 14 years old. I decided to stop eating meat. So I think that was my kind of wake up call. And that made me more aware about environmental impacts. And I, and I started meeting people that were working in the field. I believe that these two things, having stopped eating meat and thinking about environmental issues, the animals, combined with studying international relations and seeing how much the topic was growing, made me realize that I could combine the two things, work on climate change having an international career at the same time, which was not very common back then. What made you stop eating meat? Back then was more because of the animals, not, was not because of the environment. And it was way more difficult. Brazil is built on a barbecue culture. So it was, <laughs> it was something that made me feel lonely in the beginning. And also, I believe, made me look for a more environmental activist friends and people that could understand at least uh, what I was trying to do with that. What is the general, I mean, this is a big generalization to ask you to make, but like, what is the thinking around climate change in Brazil? How do people talk about it or approach it? That's a very good question. In Brazil, climate change is not considered a priority compared uh, to other countries, but it's also because there are so many urgent things, ordinary Brazilian, like someone that is living their lives, like you can be facing poverty, you can be facing unemployment, violence. Brazil is a, ve a very violent country, many deaths because of police uh, confrontation and so forth. So I believe uh, up to now, climate change is not being like the, the main topics that Brazilians discuss in their daily lives. On the other hand, even though we are seeing um, a more resistance from our national government, Brazilians in general, they are less prone to climate denials, such as you, you can see in the U.S. And, and that's one of the things that when we created Youth Climate Leaders, we believe that tackling climate change can also make it better those other challenges that Brazilians have, such as unemployment and violence and education. And in, differently from Europe, most of young people in Brazil, they cannot be full-time activists. So I think this is one challenge as well. A lot of people will say that young people in Brazil are not as active on climate change as uh, Europeans or even Americans. But the fact is that like, most of uh, young people in the country, they cannot be full-time activists. So the way that we are trying to empower youth in Brazil and other developing countries is to help them turn climate activism in, into their careers so that they can also have income, pay their bills and help their families, which is something that most young people in developing countries have to do. And a lot of young people were asking me how they could get their foot on the door and start their careers on climate change. I realized that we could try to do something, to create an organization that would make this uh, pathway way easier and faster. So we could catalyze climate careers. And what took me five to seven years would take them six months or less. And they would finally start their career on climate change as well. I'm wondering when you talk about climate jobs, that's a huge bucket of types of jobs. But I wonder if you could describe some of the work that young people like entry level jobs that you guys are, are trying to get your participants to access. Uh, sure. For example, we have several jobs that are related to consultancies for governments and companies and to help them account uh, the greenhouse gas emissions, very technical stuff, or policymaking or politics organizations working in the energy sector that are looking 
for us to help them to hire for technical jobs so we can talk to young people that are doing studying those technical schools. They don't even have to go for like university. They can have a very solid career plan. There are tons of jobs related to communications. Every NGO, every company has a communication part of it. And finally, uh, we had uh, a lot of people either working at or are interested in uh, sustainable diets, uh, part of climate change. So we have uh, vegan chefs, we have people working in organizations that incubate uh, vegan alternatives and even nutritionists. So that's interesting to see that there's no like a profession so far that came to us that we said, you don't have a place on the transition to a climate resilient society. So that's very interesting to see that everyone can do something. Yeah, that's really encouraging that companies are starting to think about their climate impact across sort of like every sector. The strategy that you guys have deployed was to start youth climate leaders in Brazil and then have moved sort of from there. Can you talk a little bit about the choice to do that? Uh, first of all, like the four co-founders are Brazilian women. Uh, so that's where we came from and where our network is, at least most of it. Also, we consider that Brazil is a very important country for climate action and uh, it, it doesn't take as much attention as other countries. Uh, and also as a developing country or emerging country, we had needs that are different from European countries or the U.S. that we have to account for. And uh, we realized from the very beginning, although we started in Brazil, we started with international immersion in Paris and, and Kenya. And we, we received 500 applications from 95 countries. And most were coming from developing countries because we believe that our strategy, our approach touches those young people because we try to help them to secure um, a climate career, to better their lives. And there is a, this um, concept, the entrepreneurship of scarcity. Uh -huh. Entrepreneurship of scarcity. Yes, we kind of know when we are in the developing country that we're not going to develop apps for things that nobody needs. Like we have real problems to solve. And the mindset of young people in Brazil, in Kenya, in other places that we've been, is different in the way that they can bring a kind of a reality check to the climate movement. And most of youth-led organizations are created by young people in Europe or the U.S. And they don't have sometimes the same needs of young people from developing countries. So that's why... We believe that it's so important to have our roots in a country like Brazil. And finally, also because uh, Brazil is huge. We have, like, if we talk about youth there, we have people on our network coming from indigenous communities, from urban areas, from the northeast of Brazil. So there's a lot of creativity. But on the other hand, because of several reasons, including political ones, it's more difficult to grow um, an organization in Brazil only if you want to be global. So we realized that at some point we would need to, to build a headquarters in a different country or continent so that we could have access to funding and other things that in Brazil, unfortunately, right now, it's not that possible. You mentioned that youth in Brazil have a, a particular set of needs. Could you talk a little bit about that? For example, we see very bright people on our network that didn't have the opportunity to study English or even to go to university. And 
oftentimes this make very difficult their path they will face now the pandemic and, and it's very common for young people in the country to support the family from the very early age with their wages. They cannot afford to get a sabbatical or a gap year as is common in Europe, in the US. Oftentimes they, they are responsible for a significant amount of their family income. So this is something that we have to consider. Uh, and finally, because of all this social inequality and things that we see, we tend to, to notice that young people from our network in Brazil They are building solutions that will also account for those social inequalities. There's a lot of sexism in Brazil. So like women empowerment is very important on our activities and the projects that the members of our network are building. But in the case of Brazil, it's not only the transition to carbon neutral in mid-century. We have to also take millions of people out of poverty and while we make our country more just and safe for many people. You said that climate change in Brazil, or the issue of climate in Brazil is a little bit different than it is in other places. Can you describe what some of the challenges that Brazil has are? I, I think just to begin with, like our emissions, they are different from most countries where energy is often the main cause of emissions. Uh, in our case, most of it comes from forestation, followed by agriculture. For example, in the case of deforestation, if you are a young person in Sao Paulo, in Rio, how can you curb deforestation in the Amazon? There's a lot of regulatory issues that goes oftentimes out of your hands. Uh, the same thing about agriculture is not something that most of people, if they are not farmers, they feel related to. So a lot of things need to change. And, and what we try to do is to show practical ways of how they can do this through changing the political landscapes and and also supporting local regional governments policies that will help them to change this scenario. Those emissions are making very few Brazilians rich. And on the other hand, if we talk about the transition to low carbon economies, there is a potential to generate more jobs and other things. So, for example, I study from the World Resources Institute, it's called A New Economy to a New Age, shows that if we implement today the low carbon policies we need, this can result in two million more jobs than the business as usual scenario. So the fact is that we can generate more wealth and distribute this better through this um, transition than just keeping with activities that are not, not making Uh, our population reach, but very few people. I want to talk a little bit about the learning journeys that you do with your participants. What does the curriculum look like to help move from the place of wanting to have a climate career, but not quite knowing how to like get into it? For example, in the case of the YCL course, which is the learn major learning journey that we have right now, we have a combination of a curriculum that starts with a lot of self-knowledge activities combined with project uh, development. And then we go to topics that are emerging topics, such as leadership and the future of work. And we talk about climate science. It's, it's very important that they know uh, the minimum so that they can have, no matter which sector or job they would choose, that, that's the minimum that they should know to advance. We talk about politics, uh, topics such as circular economy, the, um, the link 
of climate change and the other sustainable development goals, the energetic transition, both in Brazil, but also globally, uh, land use change and forest, the Amazon, and topics such as finance and climate justice or the just transition. And the major thing after they have this uh, overall introduction about the main topics being discussed now on climate change, they will also have this with practitioners, with people that are working on those issues in different organizations from private sector to governments and NGOs and academia. And after they graduate, they will join the network. So I think that the best part is being able to connect with projects and develop practical things after they graduate from the course. I'm interested that you say that self-knowledge is a part of the coursework. Can you talk about why you guys do that? Uh, Sure. Uh, That's interesting because climate change is very heavy. We see that a lot of young people can get depressed uh, if they don't know how to Uh, work, all this knowledge, uh, all this grief and anger they feel. So we we realized that there was this need to help them in this process, but also because careers are becoming more complex. So if you don't know yourself, you probably will not make a good choice. And that's true for climate change as well. So this combines a little bit about um, more personal development, but also professional development together. And we have climate circles where they can discuss about their own climate grief. And from the very beginning, we added this uh, self-knowledge component. And people uh, on every survey, they, they say that it's important to them. And, and even for our team, I think we learn in the process as well. It's transformative when you discover your community, when you enter into um, a network that people understand you. They may not agree with everything, and thank God, because (laughs) we have to discuss and we don't want a uniform network. But they agree with you in the basics, uh, like that we need to fight for justice, that climate change is real. All this common sense that should be common sense, but unfortunately it's not. I'd like to know more about the folks that have um, gone through the program. Like, Tell me how many have gone through and then tell me about the goal for how many you have. Uh, Right now we had... um, 500 people with this new cohort that has that have been trained by us. And our goal is to reach 1 million by 2030. And by the end of this year, hopefully we'll have like 5,000, so 10 times more than what we are talking right now. And we believe that it's important to grow fast because we have this decade to do something serious about. We cannot just like have incremental improvements. But at the same time, the demand is very high. So our major constraint is funding. So, so we are working on that because we always receive many applications, many emails all the time. We know that young people want to be part of this network. They want to start their climate careers. And also, we from the very beginning, we decided to give as many scholarships as possible. So an average of 40% of our participants receive some kind of scholarships. And this is very important to increase the diversity of the network. And we have cases from uh, some of them that they said that was for the very first time they realized that they could make their cause, their career, so they can see uh, other people similar to them with the same background already getting jobs on climate change, and they will become examples in their communities as well. So that's very important to have this component of giving scholarships 
because this make the network diverse and this is good for everyone. Like as we were just talking that knowing and learning how to work in a diverse environment is important, but also because they will bring this message to their communities as well. And this is something that we want to support. It must be really exciting that you get to provide that moment to young people where they like figure out like what their purpose is and they make that connection and um, they have that like change in their in their mindset. But I also imagine maybe it's kind of a, a process to get to that like aha moment. This is not an um, easy journey because we could be doing other things or earning more money and, and so forth. But I believe what we receive in turn is like not only the gratitude and we are enabling people to realize they don't need to choose between being happy and having a career. But I think we are doing this in a way that is not shallow. We are showing that it's difficult, that you have to work for that if you want. But it's possible. Most of young people are somehow anxious about climate change or about COVID-19 and they don't know what to do and they fear that they will not have a place in this world. We are trying to do our best to show that they can be an agent of this change that we want to build. Together, we can build this world that needs to emerge, this world or using the UN jargon. We can build the future we want and the future we deserve. So I think it's, that's a very beautiful path uh, that we are building towards empowering young people and at the same time, uh, empowering ourselves in the process. This question is sort of more at the structural level. And you've talked a little bit about the need to start adopting policy, but if there was one change that you could ask from leadership, and leadership could be defined locally or nationally or internationally, if there were one change that you could ask for, what would you want to see changed in order to tackle this problem? Having talked to several policymakers during my career, I believe that one thing that they all should do is like to put climate action in the center of their agendas. It's not like a marginal issue anymore for you to like just have pictures and say that you are doing something nice, but you have to plan everything. Even if we stop emissions right now, we will have to deal with the impact of the older emissions and children should learn the skills that will help them to navigate this complex world. You have to plan mobility. Everything should be related to the goal of being carbon neutral by mid-century or even before. So I would change the focus of policies uh, in a way that climate change is our major challenge as humanity and we have very little time to solve it. So everyone, either if you're a policymaker or if you are starting your career as an intern, you should wake up every day and ask yourself, what can I do? How can I employ my skills into making uh, this transition that we need? How can I use my skills to make the transition we need? It's a valid question, and Kasi identified two key things. First, self-knowledge. Knowing what your skills are and what you bring to the table, as well as what your weaknesses are, is a great first step towards becoming active in the fight for our future. 
Like if you're a strong writer, but you hate public speaking, you'd probably be better and more comfortable as a letter writer than you would be testifying at a city council hearing. It helps if you take some time to really evaluate yourself and notice what you're great at and the things you feel like you can do better than the average person. And that's how you see where you can contribute. Once you do that, then it's time for the second thing that Cassia pointed out. That's the transformative power of community. We just feel less alone and less overwhelmed when we work together. It's a simple concept, but so simple that we often take it for granted. Build your own personal network to fight climate change. It doesn't have to be a huge scale international project like Young Climate Leaders. You can honestly start with something like getting people in your apartment building together to get your building retrofitted for energy efficiency. Or you can work with people at your school to start a composting project. And you can build this network at your job, at your church, with the guys you play basketball with. And there's no such thing as starting too small. The potential for community is everywhere. You just have to be looking for it. Once you find your people and showcase the skills that you bring to the table, then you've already started to make a difference. It's cool to be part of a team. That's why the Lego movie made a song about it. Because it's always easier when we do it together. There's no denying it. No Denying It, the UN Climate Action Podcast, is produced by UN News and Good To Do Today. Our producer at UN News is Connor Lennon, and Natalie Hutchison is our promo and distribution manager. Our producers at Good To Do Today are Emma Jacobs, Jay Venables, and Rachel Ward. Our managing producer at UN News is Matthew Wells, and our executive producer is Mita Hosali. Keith Frund and Braden Alexander are our audio engineers, and our theme song is by Memory Palace, courtesy of Marmoset. This episode features music from Artlist. Many, many thanks to Fang Chen, Martina Donlin, Bratislava Jane, Robert Nashovsky, Regina Merkova, June Park, Ezra Sergi, Sam Tracy, Matilda Folino, Freesound.org, and the UN Environment Program. Find more stories about climate action from UN News at news.un.org.